0: People were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law, as the scripture says. So Jesus amazed people. So my question for us today is when was the last time that you were amazed or have been amazed by Jesus? Maybe by his teaching or astonished by his actions as you read the scripture? Or when was the last time that you were surprised by a response that he gave? Or possibly startled by his words as you've been reading or engaging? Or maybe just simply awed by his authority when he spoke to demons and they fled? When's the last time you've been amazed by Jesus? You know, when is the last time you said to yourself, he gets me? Jesus really gets me. You know, we can gradually get disconnected from that sense of awe and wonder as we, you know, in the same awe and wonder that the people of the scriptures experience. You know, as we go through life, we experience hardships and struggles and difficulties, worries and busyness and snow or heat in Belize, if you're there. In the midst of all of that, uh, even we even get familiar with Jesus' message sometimes and, you know, it just doesn't have that sense of awe and wonder that maybe it once did. Or maybe that the people in the scriptures are experiencing. Sometimes we forget that Jesus isn't just a religious figure. Sometimes we uh, don't remember that he's not just an icon on a cross or an image in a picture. Picture. You know, Jesus was a real person. He was a Jewish man who walked on the land and the hills and the streets of Israel you know we have blind spots that keep us from recognizing some of the counter practical ways that Jesus radically demonstrated love to those around him in the kingdom of God and the same ways that he commissioned his disciples to imitate and the same ways that he calls us to follow well I think here's the good news today I think we have an opportunity to reignite the awe and wonder and the sense of wonder of Jesus' teachings and who he is as we read the life of Jesus together in the Story Bible. So if you've been following along with us, we're 23 weeks into the scriptures and we're finally getting to the one that it's all pointing to, to Jesus. If you haven't gotten one of these, I invite you to start reading with us in the New Testament part of it. Uh, You'll find the books over there in the entry, or you can get one online. Today we get a fresh look at Jesus' teachings as he interacts with real people, and we get to hear what he taught and preached as he walked along the very same places that you could walk if you were in Israel today. And I think we'll find that Jesus does get us. He gets us. If you watched the last Super Bowl, you probably saw two commercials with that theme. Uh, one featured kids that were displaying radical compassion and love for each other, and the subtitle was, "Jesus didn't want us to act like adults." Have you ever heard that before? Don't act like an adult. Don't grow up. Probably not. I don't hear a lot of that in leadership consultants that uh, tell us that you know we need to act like children. That might be a, something that they say. You act like children but not something they would recommend you know the the idea now is healthy relationships maturity and growing all those are really important and part of what scripture teaches us but but jesus says something totally different which ought to get our attention he says unless you change and become like little children think about up here for the for the uh children's message unless you become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven he gets us campaign that says, uh, this was a very countercultural message that challenged the values of those who heard him. And I think, uh-huh, act like a child, really? You know, Jesus wanted his followers to know something, that they have to be humble and trusting with an attitude like that of a little child, if they want to enter the kingdom of God, the place where God is prepared for them. You know, it's a fitting message today, I think, as we highlight little flock and uh, the options uh, for women and the baby bottle campaign. Do you ever feel like letting your trusting, loving, humble inner child free and to radically embrace and love and care and display the audacious love of Jesus without even considering it, without even thinking about it, without even wondering if I should or shouldn't be doing this? Just doing it? If you ever have felt like that, then Jesus gets you. Today we're going to try to approach the story, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, with that kind of childlike faith, once again, to open up to this awe and wonder that the first people in the scriptures experienced when Jesus was around. Mark chapter 1 says the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? a new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region. When is the last time you've been wowed by Jesus? So as we dig into the story, Jesus begins his ministry by defying expectations of everyone around him, including the good guys, his cousin, John the Baptist. Now as cousins go, they probably spent quite a bit of time together. They probably had a few family reunions Maybe a weekend at the lake. Maybe they had a couple donkey races. I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But cousins spend time together. So as John gets older, though, he gets really unconventional. You ever have one of those cousins? Unconventional? He's an untrained prophet by religious standards. He's not a preacher in a proper synagogue. You know, he doesn't have the proper church on the street corner with the right denomination. Instead, he's this shaggy rogue prophet. He's at home in the desert and eats bugs so he's telling people to get ready for someone and John's the kind of guy you might find holding a sign that says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near actually he did say that so here's the amazing part people were responding to him people were listening to him they were doing what he says you know sometimes things happen that defy the odds sometimes they're just unexplainable you know, this, this is a movement that God is orchestrating and people of all kinds are coming out to the Jordan River where John is. They're finding him. They're confessing their sins to him and being dunked in the water, right? They're being baptized. So sinners are repenting because they sense that somehow the kingdom of God is near. Somehow God is at work. Somehow God is moving and coming. And then Jesus comes along. He walks up to John, and he also wants to be baptized. You know, we we get the impression that by now John has a pretty good idea of who his cousin is, who Jesus is. You know, John's been announcing his coming. He's saying later on that he is the Lamb of God, you know, identifying him as this, you know, the ultimate fulfillment of the sacrificial system of the Jews. John says that he's not worthy even to untie the sandals of his cousin Jesus. So John's confused. When Jesus comes to him, he's He's wondering why Jesus is coming to him to be baptized. And he tries to push him off. He says, you know, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. So what's going on? Why is John refusing? Because I think he's convinced Jesus isn't one of us. I think he believes Jesus isn't one of us. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one that is to come, but... He's not one of us. Yet Jesus replied, Let it be so now, about baptism, let it be so, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. I think reluctantly, probably, and then we have to ask this question. We have to stop in the middle of the story and say, well, why, why would Jesus come to be baptized by John? This baptism of repentance, confessing of sins, and, and uh, you know, turning our lives around. Because Jesus is the son, sinless Son of God. He has no need for a baptism. So why? Why is he doing it? Because he gets us. Jesus gets us. Jesus identifies with us, with our own sinful humanity. He gets us. You know, he gets that we mess up. He gets that we struggle with sin. He gets that we need to repent. We need to return to God. He gets that ebb and flow of our spiritual lives and our spiritual desire He gets that deep down in every person's heart. There's this longing, throbbing for a relationship with the living God. Jesus gets us. And the Son of God is saying, in this baptism, I'm with you. And I want you to know that I am God's rescue plan to get you back, to save you from your sin. So God has finally, after all of this time, after, through the whole Old Testament, God is finally coming to us. And John the Baptist says the kingdom of God is near because now Jesus is on the scene. Jesus is near. You know, Cheryl and I went down into the water at Yardanet. It's a place on the Jordan River where Jesus potentially was baptized. You know, nobody knows for sure, but it could have been one of those potential places and it struck me that as I was there, you know, the, the water is still flowing through that same riverbed that Jesus would have been at. You know, I actually decided that I needed a little of that water. It was pre 9 11, so I filled a, a water bottle full of water from the, 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 the Jordan River. When I brought it home, it turned green, so this is chlorinated. But it's the same. It's the actual water from the actual river where Jesus was baptized. And what it strikes me is that this is a real place. Jesus is a real person. And this was a real event. You know, people are still coming to that place in the Jordan. And it's absolutely incredible what takes place. And John's about to tell us. You know, maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you're going to hear this for the very first time, whether it is the first time or you've Heard it before. I invite you to, to receive this, to experience this with a new sense of awe and openness to what Jesus said, that childlike faith that Jesus describes. Watch what happens in the water on the banks of the Jordan River. I say, Watch as I speak the words. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. A voice from heaven speaking and confirming that this is the one. Jesus is the one. So time out. What's happening here? You know, we've been on this 23-week journey through the Old Testament since last fall. We haven't seen anything like this before. We started all the way back in the garden, remember, when God created human beings, and he was with them in the garden, and all was good, all was wonderful, as it was meant to be. And we watched the story unfold as Adam and Eve rejected God, and they were separated From God and separated from the tree of life and expelled from the garden. And we learned about God's promise to get his people back. And he saved Noah. And we learned that although Noah was saved and his family off the boat, sin still went with them. So the plan for salvation wasn't going to come from human beings, it had to come from God. And then God called Abraham and he told him he would make him into a great nation. And God saved that nation through Joseph in Egypt. As the nation becomes numerous, and then they're enslaved, and then God raises up a deliverer, Moses, who comes to lead his people out of captivity and through the wilderness, and then God gives them commands, and they learn how to live with God and live with one another, and then they wander through the wilderness until God fulfills his promise and brings them into the land. And then he promises David that through his line, a king will come who will sit on his throne forever. But then the kingdoms divide and the kingdoms fall and they go into captivity and it looks like all is lost. And yet God raises up a remnant in Babylon and he preserves them through people like Esther and Daniel. And then God brings them back with Ezra and Nehemiah and they start this rebuilding project. And the prophets tell of the promised Messiah who's going to come and then nothing Silence for 400 years and waiting until last week we heard about this baby that is born in a manger and he is the Messiah, the son of God, the one who is promised, the one who comes. And we begin to sense that God is moving and this plan is being fulfilled and something amazing is about to take place. And now we hear at the waters of the Jordan this voice booming from heaven saying, this is my son. Whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And as we realize that everything that has come before us is actually pointing to this one person standing in the water. He is the one that fulfills God's plan to get his people back. And God says, this is my son. So Jesus is here on earth. God in the flesh, identifying with us, sinless yet receiving a sinner's baptism. He gets us, and he gets our enemy. The Bible says God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, in James 1.3. So God can't be tempted by the devil. So God can deal with Satan, no problem, right? But we get tempted, have you ever wondered, wow, where does that desire come from? Man, that's powerful. That's not right, but wow, it's strong. You know, we've all experienced it in the flesh, in our own human humanity. Satan tempts us with all kinds of temptations that fit our desires. We all face them. Have you ever wondered about now? God in the flesh? How does God in the flesh deal with Satan's temptations? So God in the flesh is Jesus. And he faced all the same temptations, all the same feelings, all the same hungers and desires that you and I and every other human being faces. Think about that. God experiencing all of that, all of what you desire. He gets us. After all, he is fully human and fully God. So what happens? Well, so far in the Bible, every human being from the beginning has fallen short. Everyone. Satan tempted Adam and Eve and they fell. Everyone since has fallen. Every one of us. The scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We get it, right? No one measures up. So immediately after Jesus is identified with us in our humanity through baptism, the test begins. But the devil, can he prevail against the Son of God? So I, I learned in some of the teaching that the, the devil, the word for devil is diablos. Uh, it, it has a root meaning to divide. That's what Satan does. He comes to divide, to, to separate. You know, anytime we see a marriage divided or a community divided or a family divided or hearts divided, we, we see the work of Satan in the midst. That's that's his work, to separate. Most of all, when we see someone separated from God in a relationship with God, that is the work of the enemy, the work of the devil. But Jesus came to destroy that work, and it begins with this temptation in the wilderness. So can the devil divide Jesus from the Father in heaven? Well, you already know the desire of our flesh is strong, You know, the body and mind wants what the body and mind wants. I was really hoping today that the Little Flock uh, dinner wasn't canceled because I really want some chicken noodle soup from uh, Lori and Katie. That's some good stuff, right? You know, the body wants what the body wants. So now imagine how good it would be after 40 days of not eating, right? That Campbell's commercial, Mm mm-mm, good, Jesus had fasted 40 days. No food. The Bible says he was hungry. I'll bet. I had fasted for three days once. I was hungry. Jesus is hungry. His physical body is famished. He wants food. So the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, say if. If you are the son of God, sowing a word of doubt, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Here's the thing. That would be a miracle, right? Well, Jesus has the power to do that. We read later on that he fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and a few fish. So he has the power to do that. The uh, tempter suggests that if he is the son of God, then go ahead and do it. But to do it now would be a misuse of Jesus' power. He's being tempted. Jesus needs to be clear on his true identity. It's not a question. He is the son of God. The voice from heaven just declared it. So the tempter says, if you are... Jesus says, it is written. Say, it is written. it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, in the end, Jesus does not succumb to the temptations and the world's promises for power and glory, but rather he chooses to serve God alone. He alone is the sinless Son of God. And we discover something remarkable about Jesus. And I think it's important to make that connection right now. That you cannot separate Jesus from the Word. You cannot create your own Jesus that doesn't line up with the Word. He is the Word. He's the Jesus who gets us. He's the Jesus in Scripture. He's the Jesus we read about. He's not a made-up Jesus patterned off of some personal ideas or philosophies. The Jesus who gets us is the one that the Father has identified as the beloved, obedient Son. And he, gets, he sets the course for the destruction of Satan and sin's power over us. So he's come to rescue us. You know, when we sing the song by Ren Collective uh, called Rescuer, you know, think about what's happened. We say we, he's our rescuer. He's our rescuer, We're, we are free from sin forevermore. And that's actually happening, forever free, because he's won the war. He knows what we need. Jesus gets us. But not everyone gets Jesus. So in Nicodemus of John chapter 3, uh, there's a religious leader of the day, he doesn't get Jesus. Nicodemus is pretty sure that Jesus is special. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Jesus is healing diseases. He's speaking authority to the leaders. He's casting out demons by his command. You know, this stuff is coming from above. Nicodemus gets that. Maybe someone listening here today is like Nicodemus. You get that Jesus is a man of God. Somehow he is an important religious figure. He's a powerful teacher, maybe a prophet. Maybe a miracle worker. Certainly the most self-sacrificial human being that ever walked the planet. Definitely some kind of man of God. But you might not have all the answers you want. And I think you'll find that Jesus' answer to Nicodemus is a little unsatisfying. Nicodemus was trying to figure this all out. If you're trying to understand Jesus as a man of God... I think you're going to be unsatisfied with his answer. But it's the truth. Here's the truth. Nicodemus doesn't get to ask any more questions. Jesus just says, Very truly. When you hear that, it means, Here it is. This is it. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. That can be a frustrating verse. It is for Nicodemus born again not just an evangelical word, it's Jesus' word. And Nicodemus doesn't get it. He he has this kind of argument with Jesus, you know, like, born again? What do you mean, Jesus? Can I go back into my mother's womb a second time and be born again? And uh, Jesus just says, no. Jesus is describing something very different. You know, we all have a physical birth, right? When we are born. How many of you were born? Good, you're still listening. All right, I'm glad. We were all born, right, once. We have a birth date. Hopefully you know it. If not, you still know you were born. You came from your mother's womb. You were, we were born. We all have a physical birth. But Jesus is talking about something completely different. He's talking about a spiritual birth. Have you had a spiritual birth? Well, how important is that? Well, Jesus tells Nicodemus it's absolutely critical. He says, you cannot even understand this unless you have been born again. Jesus said, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So if we're listening carefully, Jesus is explaining how this new birth happens. Jesus isn't from the earth. He's from heaven. So just like the voice at baptism says, this is my son, Jesus is speaking about heavenly things. And here's how it happens. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. A new birth is a new life. God told Moses in the Old Testament to fashion a gold snake and put it on a pole. You know, I always, I always struggled with this because it's kind of like, God. Ah, that's strange, that's odd. You ever seen in a a doctor's office or on a license there's this idea of of this this snake around a pole? It's it's the idea of healing. And it comes right out of this Old Testament passage. See, uh, there were poisonous snakes that had come into the Israelite camp and they were biting the people and they were dying from this poison. And God said it was happening because of their sin. God said to Moses, fashion a pole with a snake, put it on a uh, pole. And everyone who looks to that will be saved. The poison will no longer kill them. And so they did. They looked at the gold snake on the pole and they were saved from the poison. So Jesus is saying in the same way, Jesus will be lifted up on a cross and everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. They will be rescued. And here's the wonder and the awe of all this. That's it. That's all. Why would Jesus do that? I'm going to invite you to read John 3.16 with me. This is at the heart of what we are hearing today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who believes will not perish but have eternal life. A new birth. A spiritual birth. A new life. An eternal life. It's hard for Nicodemus to grasp this. Maybe it's hard for you because you've not experienced this kind of grace. Someone sacrificing like that for you. Maybe you've experienced a lot of judgment in your life. Maybe it feels like only judgment. Maybe you have, maybe you see God as this cosmic doler of punishment and wrath, because maybe that's what you've experienced in your life, judgment by your family, maybe judgment by your friends, or judgment by the church. Everywhere you go, you're being judged, and like all of us, you're falling short. Well, Jesus gets it. If you feel like that, Jesus gets you. Listen to this, the next verse in John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God isn't interested in condemning people. He's interested in saving us. It's incredible. No condemnation. Instead, rescue. Rescue. God's plan is to rescue and restore you to a right relationship with God forever. Why? Because God loves you. Simple as that. God loves you. That's the good news that we hear today. God loves you. God loves you. I invite you to turn to someone beside you and just tell them this truth. God loves you. God knows what we need, and it's love. God is love. He gets us. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, God's provision of love. What do you believe? Do you get Jesus? Well, because I'm hungry... And I assume you are too. I'm going to just jump ahead to this guy we started with. Jesus' cousin, John, the rogue Baptist. You know, John ended up in prison. I don't know, I suppose makes sense. He he, he spoke what he had on his mind and it ruffled a lot of feathers, power and authority. So he ended up in prison. A difficult end to a difficult calling and John is having some doubt. I can identify with John. Maybe you can too. We all have doubts. You know, we hear the gospel. We hear the story. We know God's love. But you know, doubts creep in. The enemy's at work in our minds, in our hearts, in our flesh, in our lives. Doubts happen. John has some doubts. He's, after being in prison, he's beginning to second guess if Jesus really is the one that is coming. He's wondering if he's pointed people to the wrong person. Is Jesus the one? So he asked someone to go find out. And this is Jesus' reply. And And I hear in this, and I hope you do too, a deep sense of awe and wonder. As Jesus describes, what is taking place around his life and ministry? You know, this is the fruit of the Son of God. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What do you think? Here's what I see it's not the healthy that Jesus is seeking, He came for the blind, the lame, the sick. The deaf, the spiritually dead, the poor. He said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I think Jesus gets us. I think he gets me. He gets us. Do you get him? Let us pray. Lord, as we read the scripture, we come to uh the sense of awe and wonder. Lord, sometimes it's just more than we can take in, hard to grasp, hard to imagine. But like but when we do with a childlike faith, Lord, you you respond by filling us up with your presence and your spirit. When we trust you, when we trust the words that are written. When we believe, Jesus, you don't hesitate, but you come in full forgiveness, full rescue, full redemption, no matter who we are, no matter what we have done, no matter what we have believed or said in the past, Jesus, you are ready to enter into our lives by faith and give us a new life, a new birth, be born again and Lord to know the fullness of a life in you of the fullness of a life God has intended from the very beginning the fullness of life in receiving that plan that God has to rescue us Lord may we be like those in scripture who do live with a sense of awe and wonder renew in us a childlike faith, not just to trust and believe, Lord, but to to then act in radical love to those around us without hesitating to love like you. You get us, Jesus. We get you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite us to